friends, welcome to the Sunday Sermon segment of We Need God. Please listen as Father Carrozza offers his homily for today, which was recorded live in St. Anne's Parish. Imagine you are a Christian living in the very earliest days of our faith, the end of the first century and the beginning of the second century, and you know you have a message to bring the gospel of Christ that Jesus has told his followers to bring the message to the ends of the earth and make disciples of all the nations. And you decide, well, you know, we need to have a game plan. How are we going to go about doing this? So you'd sit down and have a little committee. And maybe you're a member of that committee talking about what is the best way for us to get the message of Jesus out. And the first thing somebody notices is that, well, you know, there's already been a lot of deaths among us. People have been martyred. We remember what happened under the Emperor Nero, and the apostles were all put to their deaths. So, you know, it's very dangerous out there. So if we're going to bring the message to people, we have to make sure it's not confrontational. Don't say anything that's difficult. Bring people by what they'll accept, by what they'll see in us is good. So let's talk to them about our close-knit families, for example, or how we take care of orphans and widows. Let them see that, all the good things we do, and that will lead them to Christ. But make sure we stay away from anything controversial that will make them rise up against us or hate us or anything like that. Let's make sure we're liked before anything else. And that would probably go over perhaps unanimously. Well, when we look back at what the early Christians actually did, they did completely the opposite of that. They didn't go about it uh, quietly and or sweetly with nothing controversial, with sweet nothings or anything. They went for the jugular. They went out and boldly preached Christ. They knew they had a message and they went out and brought it to people and didn't worry about whether or not people liked it, because they'd already noticed it worked. They could think of Peter on the day of Pentecost, the first day that the church was out preaching. And now here were the chief priests, the Sanhedrin, all the people who had put Jesus to death were all outside in the temple precincts, hearing all the clamor of these apostles going out speaking in tongues. And what does Peter do? Does he hide from them? No. He gets up on a soapbox, basically, and shouts out, let the whole house of Israel know beyond any doubt that God has made both Lord and Messiah this Jesus whom you crucified. And you better repent and believe in him, for there is no other name given unto people by which they are to be saved. And of course, they knew that the the, uh, Sanhedrin, the chief priests, were not very Uh, happy with the apostles. In fact, they were furious when they heard what Peter said. At one point, they had them arrested, they had them scourged and warned them never to talk about him. But the Christians also realized something else in looking at that. It worked because, yes, Peter infuriated the leaders, but 3,000 people were baptized that very first day. Now, Jerusalem was not a major world city. It was a provincial capital. So 3,000 people would have been a good percentage of the population of Jerusalem. So even though people scoffed at Peter, they yelled at him, they scourged them later, nevertheless, it worked. And the more the apostles boldly preached, the more people believed. And in their own time, they saw it, even in Rome, with the persecution by Nero. Afterwards, people were 
a lot of them felt sympathy for the Christians and were willing to listen to them more because they saw what they endured at the hands of Nero because they were innocent scapegoats for his own possible having burned the city of Rome. They knew that that would work. And yes, there would be people who would not like the faith and they would even be put to death for it, but they knew that their death would be the seed of the faith. As one of the great Christian writers had said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the faith. And one of the pagan emperors knew that. He said, for every Christian I put to death in an an arena, two pagans go out converted. And he realized that the persecution was only like pouring water on a grease fire. The more they tried to put it out, the more they let it spread. And so they realized that. They realized this was the way to bring Christ. And they took great strength in one particular story in the life of Christ that they used to strengthen them. And that is the feast we celebrate today, the epiphany of Christ revealed to all the nations. They realized that as the wise men came to hear, to see Christ, they had to now bring Christ out to other wise men. And it was the first feast that the church ever celebrated outside every single Sunday as a day to rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus. The ancient Christians, the first thing they singled out was the adoration by the Magi. And they took so much strength in that account of Christ being adored by all the nations. Now let's look a little more carefully at what happened at the adoration by the Magi. First of all, we know virtually nothing about them. The name in Greek, Magus, really Magi, as we translate it, means wise men. And that could mean a number of things. Certainly, they were learned people. They were intelligent. These were not simpletons. They also may have been kings. Kings would have been considered wise men. So referring to them as the kings, well, that's quite possible. They also probably were involved a little bit with astrology, having seen the star at its rising. There's hints that they would have used astrological um, knowledge to try to find the Lord. But they realized something. First of all, these were not Jews. These were pagan wise leaders, the leaders of the knowledge and the political authority of the pagan world. And they made the journey and they found Jesus and they prostrated themselves before him. What is prostration? Prostration is lying face flat before another. Prostration shows the other person, I am nothing and you are everything. If they were before a civil king, the person would be saying, your majesty, you can strike me and kill me right now if you want. I have put aside all my defenses. You are everything. I am nothing. And look at the beautiful image of that. All of the world's wisdom, all the world's political leadership prostrate before the infant Jesus, as if to say all of the world's knowledge and all of the world's leadership is nothing before the infant Christ. What a beautiful image that is. And the ancient Christians saw that and realized that their job was to bring all the other nations to prostrate themselves before Christ and hear his teaching that would bring them the answers that they were looking for, the peace that the world has so been longing to find but hadn't found anywhere else. And then the wise men opened their gifts and presented their gifts to the child Jesus. And they were very unusual gifts, not normal gifts you would bring to a newborn child. If today a relative or a friend had a baby and you went to visit, you probably would bring them blankets or rattles, toys, maybe diapers, something very practical for the baby. The wise men didn't bring that. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
And one of the apocryphal gospels actually even tells us that there was a fourth wise man who was turned away by the Blessed Mother for bringing a fruitcake. Grim shot, please. But seriously, looking at those three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they were all important, significant gifts. First of all, gold. Anytime one king visited another king in the ancient world in peace, he brought gold as a tribute to show he recognized his earthly authority, that he was a king. So bringing gold to the child Jesus showed he was a human king. Frankincense, incense, that we still use at Mass to this very day. When we use incense here at St. Anne's, it is still frankincense we are burning that has been used since ancient times in worship of the gods. And that frankincense showed that Jesus was divine. So he was a human king who was also God. And then myrrh, the strangest gift of all to bring to an infant, a very strong perfume that was used in embalming ceremonies to cover the smell of rotting flesh. So that myrrh signified that this Jesus would die for his people. And so the wise men somehow already knew that this infant that was born was a human king who was also God who would suffer for his people. And they had to find or travel a difficult journey to find Jesus to get there. And they had King Herod trying to uh, take advantage of what they found. So not that he could adore the child Jesus as he claimed, but as we know later to try to kill the child. And so it was a difficult journey for them, and there would be people that would try to stand in their way. And the ancient Christians knew that. But this story strengthened them as they went out to preach the gospel, knowing that they might have to suffer for it, but even if they suffered, the faith would be spread. And so they didn't soft sell the message. They didn't make it light and loose. They didn't just give them rainbows and marshmallows and nice sweet selling things. They didn't give them platitudes. They gave them the real meat of the gospel and sometimes really in a rather confrontational way. One of the most beautiful examples of that is the beginning of the gospel according to St. Mark. St. Mark starts his gospel account with these words, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Now, for us, that doesn't sound very striking or very challenging, but any pagan Roman who heard that would know exactly that this was an in-your-face. This was a taunt from Mark. Now, remember something. Mark was living in Rome on the Capitoline Hill. He had lodgings right there. The Capitoline Hill is the place where the emperor and the senate and everybody would meet to govern Rome and the entire Roman Empire. Basically, this was the place where the world was governed. And Mark had a, um, an apartment or lodging right there on the Capitoline Hill, right in the belly of the beast. That would be like somebody today coming along and writing from an apartment on Capitol Hill. You couldn't get any more in the belly of the beast than Mark was when he wrote his gospel account around the year 70 AD, only six years after Nero's persecution of the faith of the first Christians. And Mark writes these words that were really a taunt to Romans. First of all, the gospel in Greek, evangelion. And that was a politically charged word because Caesar used to use it. When the emperor would go out in battle against somebody and win a victory, he would send messengers back to Rome to herald the good news. Evangelion, Evangelion, good news. Caesar has won a victory over the Parthians or the Medes or whoever it may have been. Rejoice, Evangelion, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. And the big... Um, the catchphrase of the time was Kaiser Kyrios, Kaiser Kyrios, Caesar is Lord. 
Well, Mark comes along and says, Evangelion, good news. Not Kaiser Kyrios, but Christos Kyrios. Jesus is Lord, the Son of God. And remember, they believed the emperor was divine. He was a son of the gods. So Mark, writing from the Capitoline Hill in Rome, the belly of the beast of the Roman Empire, starts his whole gospel account written to the Romans, saying to them, Caesar is not God and the Son of God and the Anointed One. Christ is. And that is the real good news. And as you can imagine, that was not going to go over well with many people. And surely they suffered great persecution for 250 years because of that. And we might wonder why. After all, the Romans were very tolerant when it came to religion. There were hundreds of religions around the Roman Empire. And the Romans had room for one more religion. But the difference with Christians was that they didn't ask just to be left alone in their churches. You know, just let us quietly worship Jesus and leave us alone by ourselves. No, they went out boldly saying, and our faith is for you. You have to abandon all these gods you believe in. You know what? Jupiter, he's a fake. Mars, Neptune, they don't exist. Isis, Osiris, those gods from Egypt. Mithra, the god that was popular with the Roman soldiers, they're all frauds. They're all fake. We're calling upon all of you to get rid of all of that and embrace Christ and Christ alone. Boy, that was a big taunt by the earliest Christians who had just been persecuted because of their beliefs. But they went out and did it. And as we mentioned, ultimately it worked. And the Roman Empire, who was tolerant of religion, used all of its energy to try to destroy this new faith and failed. Because when Constantine came along, then Constantine liberated Christianity, made it an acceptable religion. And 60 years later, of course, all the emperors after Constantine were Christians. There was one man, Julian, who tried to go back to the ancient Roman pagan worship. They called him the apostate. And by that point, it was too late. Nobody really believed in the gods of Rome anymore. And when Julian was assassinated, the next emperor who came along made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And so Christianity had conquered the mighty Roman Empire. These few little gathered Christians conquered the mighty Roman Empire that used all of its power to wipe it out. And eventually it embraced the very faith it tried to destroy. And that is a triumph worthy of the annals of history. Never has there been a conquering such as that. And the ancient Christians knew that would work, and it worked for them. And thanks to them willing to shed their blood, knowing that if they preach the gospel, they might be fed to the lions, they might be crucified, but if they die, the faith would spread. As one of the ancient Christian writers had said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the faith. Now, you and I today are in very much a similar way to the ancient Christians. Even though many people in our world would call themselves Christians, we know we're actually living in a post-Christian world here in the West. For the first time in, my, in recorded history, we have a people who don't worship any god on Sunday. And we as Catholics are doing better than most other religions. We still have 25% of our Catholics worshiping faithfully here in the United States on Sunday. But the rest of the Western world isn't nearly as lucky. If you go to England, for example, and look at the Church of England, 2% of Anglicans go to church on Sunday. 98% of Anglicans don't go anywhere near church. Only 2% do. In the Scandinavian Lutheran state countries, the number is near zero. In most areas, nobody goes to church on Sunday. Some of them not even for Christmas or Easter. 
So us, at 25% of our Catholics, we're still holding our ground, although it is alarming that 75% of Catholics excuse themselves from Mass on Sunday. But nevertheless, we see the situation, and we want to do something about it. We're not happy to know that this is happening, and we don't want to see the numbers get worse. So we're asking ourselves before the Lord, what can we do? It is our duty. The Lord tells us, just like he told the apostles at the Ascension, go out and make disciples of all the nations. That is our job as Christians, to go out and bring people into Christ. How will we go about it? What's going to bring them to the Lord? Well, the past 50 years since the Second Vatican Council, which reminded us that we are a lumen gentium, a light to the nations, we are called to be that guiding light. Like the star that wed the, led the wise men to Christ, we're meant to be the light to lead other would-be wise men, people looking for truth and not knowing where to find it, to be the light to bring them to Christ so that he can save them and they can find in him the peace that they're looking for. So how do we go about doing that? Well, for the past 50 years, the church has been doing, a lot of people have been saying, well, don't be controversial. Just say the things that people will want to hear. You know, tell them niceties. Don't make waves. Don't rock the boat. You know, forget about all those hot topic issues and things. Just say the things people want to hear. And if we just build them up and make Sunday a comfortable time where everybody feels good and everyone loves one another, then we'll bring them to Christ. You know what? It ain't working, folks. We've been doing that for 50 years now. And if that were the key, our churches should be bursting at the seams. But what's happening? People are fleeing in record numbers from churches. And we as Catholics are holding on better than the mainline Protestant churches. If you looked at some of our Protestant brothers and sisters, they're dying in a far worse state than we are. So if just telling people nice, sweet nothings was going to bring them to Christ, it should have worked by now. I think by now we have to admit that what we've been doing these past 50 years has been a colossal failure because we have been afraid of offending anyone and of saying something that you know, they might not like, they might vote with their feet. Well, we've chosen to be politically correct. We've chosen to say only the nice things people want to hear, and it has not kept them. Why? Because deep down people need Christ, and they need the truth of Christ. And to bring them the truth of Christ sometimes means we have to challenge them to see things differently, to say, no, you cannot follow that. No, you cannot do that. Yes, you must do this. And yes, some people will not like that. And sure enough, we get a lot of violent press because of it. But I've always said bad press is better than no press. Imagine if we were out there preaching and nobody listened to us at all, they never responded, we would say we're totally irrelevant. But the fact that people still do respond, even if negatively, to the Catholic message out there at least means we're being heard. People are hearing us. And sometimes we reflect upon the people who are rejecting the gospel and calling us names and things, forgetting that other people are listening. And we are bringing people in. And we see that in our RCIA programs and especially with our young people, which is our most important audience of all. The largest growing denomination of religion in the United States today is what's called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, people with no religious affiliation whatsoever. And they're leaving in droves from all religions, not just us as Catholics. In fact, we're holding off better than many others are. Why are the young people leaving churches? Lots of studies have shown because they're not being fed. They've been fed platitudes. They've been fed sweet little Jesus talk. And you know what? 
They're better than that. They see right through that. Our young people today are too smart for that. They know when they're being patronized. They know when they're just being fed nothing, saying, well, you really can't rise to the occasion. We're not going to challenge you because you can't do it. No, young people rise better when we do challenge them, when we tell them, be bold in Christ. Don't be afraid. Go out and follow Christ faithfully and teach other people to do so. And by your words and your example, they will follow him. We're seeing success in that in many places in the church. St. Anne's is no exception in our young adults that we have here. Maybe they may not be many of them, but we have some good young adults who are working very hard, who are captivated by Christ, who are on fire with the faith, who want to bring it to their others, to the, uh, their peers, and they want to bring them into Christ. And they're doing it not by telling their friends sweet nothings, but by giving them the truth of Christ. And that's what worked for the ancient Christians, and that's what will work for us today. Not platitudes, not saying things so that nobody else will be offended by it. By preaching the truth firmly but gently. I'm not saying be obnoxious, go out and, you know, in your face people and call them names or anything like that. Of course not. Be gentle, be respectful, but be firm and unapologetic and unabashed in the faith. Not apologizing because the church preaches things, especially when they're unpopular, but preach it all the more so. Because we know many denominations of Christianity have gone out and just gone with the flow. While some people tell us here as Catholics to do that, that, oh, we have to change those hot topic teachings and change the teaching on it so that people will stay with us, we refuse to do that. We stand firm even if people are going to vote with their feet and leave. Well, many of the uh, Protestant denominations have actually changed the teaching and said, all right, you want to believe that? Come and join with us. Worship with us. You can believe whatever you want. Just believe with us. First of all, it's not working because they're dying. But secondly, remembering a lot of these hot topic issues are hot for a time being. Now they're in everybody's mind. Now they're politically correct. But 30 years or 40 years from now, the climate changes. And all of a sudden, that's not popular. And people will look back and say, what were they thinking back then? And the churches that went along and changed the teaching just to go with the flow and be popular, people will look back and say, They lost all their credibility. They just told people, believe whatever you want. Whereas looking at us, they'll say, look, the Catholic Church kept its ground. They stood firm even when it was unpopular. And they have kept their credibility because they were convinced that what they were believing was the truth of Christ. And then maybe that's when we will have the resurgence again that we're looking for. Pope Benedict XVI has said, the church is currently in a pruning period. We are pruning away a lot of the dead branches, being cut back, and our numbers will be low. But once that pruning takes place, a new fruit will come from among us, new branches bearing great fruit. And if we can do that with our young people and reach out to them and help them see that we're not patronizing them, we're not going to tell them, oh, just sweet nothings, you can't do it, but challenge them to say, live differently, like the ancient Christians had to do and challenge the pagans, see things differently, follow Christ, and you, find, you will find peace. And if they do that and it changes their life, they'll go out and tell their friends who will tell their friends. And that's what will bring about the resurgence that we're looking for. And I always say our young people are the seed ground for that, where we need to place our energy. So you and I today on this great solemnity of the Epiphany, we are called to be the light of the nations, that guiding light leading other would-be wise men to find Christ by our own faith, 
by our own following the Lord and by our own witness of our words and our actions. Let other people follow our light so that they will come and find God and realize it is here in Christ, in his church, in his sacraments, in his truths, that they will find the peace that only Christ can bring. That indeed he has come as our savior, not to save us by placating us, but saving us by challenging us to overcome sin and live the life he has called us to live. And when the world does that, only then will we have peace. When all the nations are prostrate before the Lord Jesus as the wise men were. If we can bring our world today to prostrate itself, all knowledge, all political leadership before the Lord Jesus, then and only then will the world have the peace, the peace for which it longs. And so today, don't be afraid to go out and be the epiphany. The word literally means God revealed to man. Go out and be the epiphany. Be Christ revealed to all the nations so that all the nations will come before the Lord and adore him. And we'll have the message to tell them, rise up in splendor. Your light has come. May Jesus Christ be praised now and forever. Thank you for listening to this week's homily by Father Carrozza. If you enjoyed this homily, please pass the word on to your friends and invite them to listen. For more materials from Father Carrozza, please visit www.fathercarrozza.com.